Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. On Thursday evening, President Trump authorized a military strike on a Syrian airfield. We talk about the process, strategy, and concept of peace through strength in today's episode. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Today in the Pearls, we have a Kentucky theme. We're going to talk a little about President Trump's actions on coal and the Washington Post scathing editorial about Mitch McConnell. Then in the suit, we discuss the military strike in Syria. And in the heels, we'll discuss what's on our minds outside of politics this week. Welcome back, Sarah. Thanks. Know everybody that I'm so excited to be back, but this is our, um, we're recording this on Sunday night, so my, my brain's a little foggy from the Your drive. Your brain is still on vacation. My brain is still on vacation, so uh, Godspeed to my brain for this episode. Well, like you said, we are going to have a Kentucky theme in the pearls, but we do want to acknowledge the tragic events that unfolded in Sweden and Egypt over the weekend. And as we receive more information about what happened there and the motivation and what groups, if any, claim responsibility, we might return to that subject on Friday. But certainly our thoughts are with the people of those countries and everyone impacted. So we have been talking about President Trump's actions on coal amongst ourselves for a couple of weeks, but the news just keeps going. And I feel like, Sarah, we're never going to talk about coal if we don't just do it. Mm. 
And Saturday Night Live is scooping us on this. My county, where I live, was featured in Saturday Night Live's skit about coal this week. Oh my gosh, I didn't see it. I haven't seen the skit. Spoiler, there are not coal mines where I live. So (laughs) the writers maybe didn't do their homework there, but... Anyway, Trump has Trump and the Republican Congress have taken two significant actions with respect to coal. One is the passage of a law that quashes the Office of Surface Mining's Stream Protection Rule. That regulation was put into place in December and protects waterways from coal mining waste. And then the second is a Congressional Review Act resolution undoing a financial disclosure requirement for energy companies. I think the second of those two is probably more significant than the first. But overall, I am dismayed by the falsity of these actions. Yeah, it just perpetuates this narrative that we're going to bring back coal jobs, which isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I highly recommend if this is a subject you care deeply about to go back and find our interview with Celis Wilder. He was um, a candidate for the United States Senate against, he ran in the Democratic primary against Rand Paul. Uh, Well, not against Rand Paul because it was a Democratic primary, but Jim Gray, right? Jim Gray. And he had this amazing moment in one of the debates where he was like, let's just be all be honest with each other that the coal jobs are not coming back. And let's talk about how we take care of these communities in the face of that reality. It's not about Obama's regulation. It's about natural gas and a lot of different things. And Let's just move forward with our with steady footing and the reality of that. And, it, you know, he gained a lot of traction and that moment went viral. Alas, doesn't seem to have changed the narrative. And Trump has even made it worse. My current favorite fictional TV president is um, on Designated Survivor, which I've talked about before, Loving. And he had a town hall in this week's episode where he gave the perfect answer to a question about lost manufacturing jobs. And I thought, that's the answer on coal, too. This isn't Mm -hmm. coming back. Anybody who tells you differently is lying to you. And our focus needs to be elsewhere. How do we help people get through this transition? As far as the substance of these laws, I don't know how big of a difference the surface mining rule change will have, because I think the market is taking care of coal. I mean, people, the market knows that coal is not the future, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm hopeful that any damage that could be done here is minimized just by the fact that this isn't happening, laws or no laws. We also wanted to talk about a scathing editorial from Dana Milbank in the Washington Post. Our listener, Dave, wrote on our Facebook page, Hello, Beth and Sarah. Since you podcast from Nuanceville, Kentucky, I was wondering (laughs) if you have thoughts on this that you'd like to share. And Dave, I would just like to say that I desperately want Nuanceville, Kentucky to be a real place where we both live. Um, So Dana Milbank said in this editorial, which is called The Man Who Broke America, no man has done more in recent years to undermine the functioning of U.S. government. His has been the epitome of unprincipled leadership, the triumph of tactics in service of short-term power. Your thoughts, Sarah? I couldn't agree more. I loathe Mitch McConnell. I have spoken in the past about a biographer of Mitch McConnell who uses as an illustration of the point that Dana Milbank is making that Mitch McConnell's sort of special collections at the University of Louisville. He has him and his wife, Elaine Chow, current secretary of transportation. Transportation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was labor and our center. Okay. Um, That 
they have this little special collection, right? And you go and it's sort of hard to get into, I understand. And in this space in which you would think that Mitch McConnell is crafting a story about his legacy and what he has contributed to the people of Kentucky or to the people of the United States, there is nothing about legislative accomplishments, policy initiatives. It is all about how many elections he's won, including, you know, elections as leader in the Senate. And it is, to me, the perfect peek inside this man's empty soul that that is all he cares about. Like, I don't, Mitch McConnell has been my senator basically my entire life. I don't know a single issue he is passionate about. I don't know a single policy that he believes deeply in. All I know is that he is willing um, and capable of doing whatever it takes, no matter how craven it appears, no matter how hypocritical he comes off. And it just makes me so mad. I realized this weekend with the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch how furious I am about Merrick Garland. Like, I thought I was mad, but now I think when the seat set empty, there was something always hypothetical about the situation. And now that that seat is filled, I really cannot put into words how insanely angry I am that that seat was stolen (laughs) from Barack Obama. I just I cannot even. And to do that and to just damage the institution left and right, I. (sighs) Well, I understand your fury about Judge Garland and share it. I am very concerned about the removal of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. Here's where I am. I would have voted to give Merrick Garland a hearing. I would have voted to confirm Merrick Garland. I would have voted to confirm Judge Gorsuch. I would not have voted to change the filibuster rule. And I wish that more Republicans had taken that stand. In the article that Dana, the editorial from Dana Milbank, he starts with a quote from Mitch McConnell from when Harry Reid changed the rules to get rid of filibusters for judicial nominees in lower courts. At that time, Mitch McConnell said, breaking the rules to change the rules is un-American. I just hope the majority leader thinks about his legacy, the future of his party, and most importantly, the future of our country before he acts. And it's that kind of direct hypocrisy (laughs) that is, I, I can't defend Mitch McConnell on this, especially because and and with respect to Merrick Garland, you know, I saw Mitch McConnell interviewed this week and he was saying, this is not how it works. I voted to confirm Justice Ginsburg. And he did, right? And so he understands that the Supreme Court is not a political football. He understands what advice and consent means. And I just am disgusted by the way the Merrick Garland issue was handled. And I'm pretty frustrated by how the Judge Gorsuch issue has been handled by both parties. It's It's just a frustrating time. Like I said on Friday, I'd put everybody in time out if they were my kids. Well, I should say, though, that I, I misspoke before. I, do, I forget. There is one thing that I do know 
a policy legislative issue that Mitch McConnell cares deeply about, and that is campaign finance and making sure as much money as humanly possible can seep into our system. So if you don't want to see the effects of, or I guess I should say, if if you want to look at the effects of Mitch McConnell's political legacy, then it's money in politics and gridlock in Washington. And so in that case, I think that the man who broke America is a perfect, perfect description of his legacy. It's true, though, that he didn't do this by himself. I mean, I don't feel defensive of Mitch McConnell in any way. But when you think about the fact that he voted to confirm Justice Ginsburg and what a short time ago, relatively speaking, that was, and how much the political climate has changed since then. Now, he's certainly been a part of that change and a facilitator of it and has, instead of being the person who says, no, we are not going to succumb to the Sean Hannity's of the world, we are going to govern, you know, he, he has completely rolled over. But I do think you have to look at that stunning fact that Mitch McConnell voted to confirm Justice Ginsburg such a short time ago and recognize we have all changed a lot in two decades. Well, and what makes me so mad is this whole like, well, you know, Harry Reid started it. Yeah, because they were obstructionist and blocked every single freaking lower court nominee from Barack Obama. Like, it's just this, you know, like I said, this, his legacy of gridlock is so disturbing and so infuriating. I just mm, can't. Well, and I would say that Harry Reid is an example of political expediency as well. Yes, the Republicans were being obstructionists then, and they shouldn't have been. That was wrong. But changing the rules to meet the expediency of that moment had long-term consequences. And the same thing is going to happen here. And I hate it. So should we compliment the other side? Speaking of... <laughs> Well, mine is related because I'm going to compliment Senator Bob Corker from Tennessee. First, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but when I worked in the Senate, he always let us ride the Senate elevator, which I always really liked him for that. He'd be like, you know, no use me riding this by myself. Y'all get on here. He was always so nice about it. But that's not why I'm complimenting him. Um, I'm complimenting him because he gave a hell of a speech on the floor of the Senate with regards to the nuclear option. And basically said, you know, in my decade here, I've just seen this system degrade. And if we don't think that this is going to end up with a, with a rule, legislative rule change that only requires, like doesn't allow for a filibuster with regards to just legislative action, we both are so beholden to our bases. And I mean, he basically acknowledged that what happened with Merrick Garland was awful and just was really honest and upfront about what he felt like the repercussions within the body would be. And I really admired his honesty. Well, mine's related to, I want to compliment Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia for breaking with the Democratic Party and voting to confirm Neil Gorsuch. You know, problematic as some of his positions may be to members of the Democratic Party and others, I think that he was manifestly qualified. And I think that these three senators upheld the standard that should be applicable to advice and consent. And I appreciate that. So we're going to move on in the suit to talk about the military strike in Syria. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. 
Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy we got this wonderful message from our listener katie on facebook and this was sent to us on thursday night she said or maybe friday morning it's been a long and confusing night i have lots of feelings about the syrian airstrike ordered by president trump last night and for the first time in a long while i think my opinions might be different from yours for that reason, I'm so eager to hear you unpack all of this and tell us how you see it. I could really use some other perspectives right now. What I do want to say is this. Please be kind to your younger viewers on this matter. Coming to political age post 9-11 changes the way you think about things like peace through strength. Some of us are upset tonight. We will feel upset. We will not feel inferior, not dumb, not immature. We will not feel too sensitive, as my godfather put it. I think that for a lot of us, this kind of thing upsets us because there is a different kind of strong on the rise in the U.S., the kind of strong that would rather take in refugees and bomb an already war-torn country 
I really think that is the future of this nation, not what happened last night. Good or bad, strength or secret collusion, whatever it is, I really believe peace through strength is getting more and more antiquated with every generation. Y'all are the light of my week, and I really hope you're doing okay with all this crazy news. All the best, Katie. That's so kind. Yeah, I think that we probably don't differ as much with Katie as she might imagine. I mean, Sarah, you were on vacation, so we haven't really talked about this at all, except for, um, you know, my expert analysis through a text message to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is um, really interesting because uh, before we had a podcast, one of the first exchanges Beth and I had was about Syria several years ago during the during the red line chemical uh, attack conversation. And I was in total favor of action against Syria. And you were more hesitant, as I remember. We'll put link to the blog post in the show notes. But I would, well, I guess my first thing is I would not subscribe totally to peace through, peace through strength. I don't necessarily think that this is what Trump's approach is and that I don't think Trump has an approach um, as much as I was in favor then and I'm still in favor of some sort of action in response to Assad's horrific civilian attacks. And I think this is probably the best option we have. This this feels to me like Donald Trump saw some pictures, got upset, and the military establishment said, okay, here is our highly specific and sort of, I would argue, traditional approach to this. But I think the same, you know, we had a, a few listeners chime in after your excellent conversation on the last episode and say, like, but what's but what are we trying to accomplish? Like, what what are we going to do? All we if we get rid of Assad, all we do is create a space in which other people can come in and make it worse. So and I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't think that, you know, peace, peace through strength, if that's what this is, is an answer either. I think this was a warning shot, right? And it probably was a warning shot more to Russia and Iran than to the Assad regime. You know, talking with Carrie, what really became clear to me, Carrie Boyd Anderson, who was on our Friday episode, what really became clear to me is that the Assad regime is done if Russia and Iran are out. Hmm. And so I think that there is, it's maybe a, a test, a test case in some ways to see how much Iran and Russia are willing to double down in support of the Assad regime. And so far, it looks like Russia, at least, is, is very serious about that. What you've heard Nikki Haley say all week, who I think has been excellent in talking about these issues at the United Nations, is that the Trump administration wants a political solution here. And I think that this action, which was a very targeted and limited action. I mean, the stories since then have been, you know, Syria still flying planes out of that airport. Well, yeah, because we didn't do a whole lot, right? We just showed that we were willing to do something. And so I think that, you know, it, it's it's a test to see how other people are going to respond and to show that we aren't going to sit here and do nothing. Now, do I think that that understanding that, you know, Donald Trump would articulate it that way? Probably not. I also think if you believe the reporting coming out about the differing factions in the White House, that he probably went with a very middle of the road possibility. Because 
everything we know about Steve Bannon indicates that he would have done nothing. Mm-hmm. And everything that we know about Jared Kushner indicates that he might have done a lot more. And this seems to me to be the option that probably was recommended by people like H.R. McMaster. And I think that is an encouraging signal coming out of the White House. Yeah, I think that I've been reading all the sort of infighting coverage between Bannon and Kushner. And I think Bannon is most likely on his way out. And I think that, but, and I am loath to, I won't say this is praise, but maybe just loose agreement with Steve Bannon on this. I do think that Steve Bannon is right. And I do think that no matter what moderate sort of approaches or strategies Donald Trump adopts, based on the advice of McMaster or Kushner or Ivanka or whoever, it is a losing campaign strategy because no matter what he does, there are people that will never, ever vote for him. You know, he's so unpopular with Democrats, and I would say largely moderates at this point, that I can't see that shifting over time. Now, the reason I don't, I'm glad that he's losing it on his way out and off, off the NSC is because campaigning is not governing. And it is incredibly encouraging to see the effects of McMaster and Mattis and all these people and a more traditional approach to who's present at the National Security Council meetings and the sort of reinstatement of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. All that stuff like is super encouraging. Yes, because in case anybody didn't notice, the stakes are really high (laughs) with foreign policy between North Korea and China and Iran and Assad. Like the stuff is complicated and hard. And I'm glad that there are more moderating moderating influences winning the day. I don't, again, it's so, it's so hard to say, and I understand the people's critiques when we say this, that I'm glad they did that and I don't know what it will do, what effect it will have. Like, except for, like you said, maybe effects on Russia and Iran, but I don't know. It's not like Putin's going to be like, oh, okay, never mind. Like, <laughs> like I don't, th- I don't see any other... Because especially because of his hard line, he's taken such a hard line against Iran. Like what motivation would they have to just not double down and keep this sort of alliance between the three of them intact? Like what because what other path forward? It's not like with with this missile strike, Donald Trump is doing what Barack Obama, for all his faults, at least tried to do, which was present people with diplomatic options like they're they're not taking that line they're not going to take that approach with iran in particular so well i don't know that they i don't know that they can take that approach now right Mm -hmm. because we've seen that those countries don't hold up their end of the bargain well that's but that's with syria i don't know if that's necessarily true with iran do you feel that with iran i think that remains to be seen i am i am concerned about iran i mean i think that with Syria, for sure, with with the Assad regime, yeah. for sure. And and I don't think that Russia's given us any, any indication of its trustworthiness either. So it's not that I don't think they should pursue diplomatic options, but I do think a military action was needed to reset the board on those diplomatic options. And I hope that's what this does. I hope this creates some pressure. Nobody wants conflict between Russia and the United States. And I think that Trump had a lot of terrible options in front of him and picked probably the best of those terrible options. And I do hope they have a strategy from here. Yeah. And I think that I'm concerned 
I mean, I think, I guess I think McMaster and Mattis and those people have a strategy, but like to somebody that can turn on a dime like he did with this situation, like, you know, how much hope should it give us that these people have a strategy? Because he could wake up tomorrow and be like, nah. And to me, that's so concerning because there needs to be a place in which, you know, on the global stage, people understand what America stands for and what approach they will take. There needs to be some sort of consistency and dependability on our stances. I feel like it creates this very dangerous place in which people don't know what we're going to do. And I don't know, that seems so problematic. Yes, Senator Lindsey Graham was on Meet the Press today trying to spin that in a positive way by basically saying, look, if you're Russia, Iran, Assad, and you think on any given day you can predict predict what President Trump is going to do, you've got another thing coming. And and he was basically trying to say, look, this guy has shown you that he will blow it up. And so you need to get in line. I don't like that approach overall. I would certainly rather President Trump come from a place of moral credibility in the world (laughs) and, you know, um, leadership with our allies, who, for the most part, issued very supportive statements. And I thought that was encouraging, too, to read the statements of other foreign leaders. Can we talk for a second about Katie's point on refugees? Because that's come up a lot, right? The, The sense that President Trump is trying to show he cares about kids when he won't allow those kids into this country. Right. I I fully understand that perspective. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that I am pro-refugee, right? And I don't think that I have any entitlement to America that somebody across the world doesn't have. So having said that, I don't think that that is exclusive of trying to figure out a long-term solution in Syria. And I think they go hand in hand. So I think strategically, Politically and in every other way, the Trump administration needs to rethink its policy on Syrian refugees. I also think that the ideal solution here is not for all of these people to be displaced from their home country. We need a solution that allows Syrians who want to be in Syria to stay there and to stay there peacefully without being starved or bombed or tortured. And so I feel like right now we're getting into this social media binary match again of we either act through our military or we accept the refugees. And I think on both sides, it has to be both. No, I mean, I, well, I think there's two things. I don't think there is a scenario in which Syrians want to stay. I mean, I can't speak for every person there, but I just think as a, as a general outlook, there's not a scenario in which people can stay there with Assad still in power. It's just I agree not, with that. that can't happen moving forward. And until, which I don't see us doing anytime soon, we commit to removing Assad from power, then we have to change our policy towards Syrian refugees. This is, there are, I mean, we, when they were talking about this um, on either another podcast or the news, I mean, it's like 5 million displaced people at this point. And 6 million displaced within, oh, it was our podcast. <laughs> I think she was saying these numbers and what she say, 6 million displaced within the country. So, I mean, that's just, that has to be a policy change. This idea that like, 
I mean, I don't know why we're even using the term America first. Like, are we just, is that not, that's not a thing anymore, right? We've like discarded that, I'm guessing. I I hope that we've discarded it. So if we have, then that needs to be applicable. It's not, I mean, that, that, the, you know, the travel ban was going nowhere and getting there fast anyway, so. Well, the other thing that I think is worth talking about is the fact that the president ordered this action unilaterally instead of having it be authorized Mm -hmm. through Congress. I think there are a lot of things to say about that. Number one, that's not new, right? Presidents have been ordering the use of military force for at least the past couple of presidencies without getting congressional authorization for all of them. Two, I do not think this was an act of war. And I think that any member of Congress who took to Twitter to call it an act of war did so very irresponsibly. But three, I am in favor of having the use of military force, stopping short of war, be authorized by Congress. And I think that there is an argument to make that that's not realistic today. And I think that's probably true. And that means that Congress should get to work with the administration to figure out a way to make that possible. Because I just think it hasn't served our nation and certainly hasn't served our troops in terms of how they are supported by the rest of the nation to have these unilateral military actions that people don't know about and don't understand. I mean, I feel like with regards to just sitting around, as we've said before, and probably reinforcing your previous point about putting everybody in Congress in timeout. I mean, we're all going to wait around for them to take action. Not to mention that it's a little hypocritical because so many members of Congress were like, I will not when when President Obama came and asked for authorization to do this. So many Republicans are like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and and that's to the point that in one respect, you understand what happened last week in terms of the chemical weapons attack moving the president to action. On the other hand, it's discouraging that anyone had to be moved by another chemical weapons attack when we've had one before and we've had a lot of torture and atrocities against humanity since then. But I do think just, I mean, where are you generally speaking on Congress authorizing military force? Do you think the president should have to seek that authorization? Do you think it should, do you think there should be some kind of expedited process for that? Or are you where Lindsey Graham is, but where he was basically saying this morning on Meet the Press, I was very into his interview also because he said that Assad was basically saying F you to President Trump and Chuck Todd nearly had a stroke. Um, but lindsey graham was basically saying look we've authorized the president to defeat isil i think it's all related and i'm not going to be voting for anything that restricts what the president is able to do i mean it's so hard because i feel like in every conversation you have to say like do i think this is a good idea in theory do i think this would work the way congress currently functions you know do i think in theory yeah is it a good idea for the president to seek authorization from Congress as an acknowledgement of our checks and balances and under the assumption that there are people, moderates and bipartisan support for seeking and resolution to issues. Yes. Do I think that's the Congress we currently have? No. If I was president, would I do that? Maybe. I mean, it's if everything it's just at this point, it's like, Congress is just, there is no space. It's so sad, but there is just no space for, well, let's go see if we can all agree on this. You know, like it's just Democrats versus Republicans. It's just, it's just a polarized party 
mess. So why pretend that it's like a governing body capable of compromise or agreement? Yeah, I think that I'm feeling really optimistic. Can you tell? I, I feel good about that, too. I mean, I think that takes me back to my feeling that our protection is in the process. And so even though you have people who are acting with less integrity than my daughter's kindergarten class might in <laughs> those same seats, if you if you keep changing the rules, this is the same thing with the Gorsuch nomination, right? If you keep changing the rules to adapt to the expediency of the moment, you erode the whole process. So I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. Do I think it's realistic to get the kind of swift, decisive approval from Congress that you would need as commander in chief? No, I don't think that means the commander in chief should have, you know, unlimited, unfettered power in this area. So it is it's hard. This is the first week, though, that we've had a podcast since the election that something happened. And I thought probably on balance, I would have made the same decision as Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, I would I guess I would say that I would have made the same decision, but it wouldn't have been, you know, it goes without saying that that what everything that preceded it would have been different. (laughs) I mean, Hillary Clinton was basically in an interview the day before saying, hey, this This is is what you do. So not much disagreeing with that. Well, and to Katie's point, too, about peace through strength as an enduring concept, I agree with her. I mean, I hope I hope Katie is right that both America and the world are going to move away from military action as a pathway to peace. I think that the world is in different places in getting there and that there will be fits and starts with that evolution. But I don't think that's dumb or immature or too sensitive at all. In fact, I think it's much more enlightened. And I, ho- I hope that's the course that we're on as human Well, and beings. I don't even know what peace means. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what peace, and particularly that region of the world, looks like. Um, or even, you know, approaching peace, moving towards peace. It's so difficult and, you know, all anyone says is it's complicated and how would that, we don't like, there's, there's a power vacuum and it's just until, I'm not a foreign policy expert and so until I hear a foreign policy expert articulate an, an approach that has a real goal in mind, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know, like I said, what that word means at this point in our sort of global climate. This is vastly oversimplified, uninformed, and not at all related to policy. So with that glowing endorsement of what I'm about to say, Ellen, my daughter, who's almost two, has learned the word mine and says it constantly. And it's made me think about how really I think mine is at the root of a lot of our problems. And when I think about the Middle East, you know, so Many of these disputes are about what territory is mine, right? Mm. And different groups wanting to claim territory as theirs, not just to live in, but to enforce against others, however they define others, right? But it's all kind of mine and yours. And I don't think there is enough land on earth to satisfy all of the mine that's at that's at play in the Middle East right now. And I think that when you add someone like Vladimir Putin, who has that same mindset, and then you have in the United States, 
a president who's moving in a more authoritarian direction. I hope that's being moderated, and I believe that it is, but that's certainly what he ran on, right? And then you look at France, and you see this movement around Marine Le Pen, and you look at Brexit, and you think about all the mine that's going on across the globe. I think that is not the direction that Katie's talking about. And I think that the direction Katie Katie is talking about is one where we shift to still taking pride in where we're from and recognizing our differences and taking care of our own people. You know, I'm not advocating for a world totally free of borders and, you know, peace, love, and communes, but an understanding of shared resources, an understanding of shared responsibility to the planet, an understanding that people who are different than us need their own spaces and that we can live in some shared spaces without enforcing our beliefs on each other. I think I I don't see a scenario in the Middle East that involves peace until the concept of physical territory is ratcheted down a few notches. Well, I agree. And on that note, are we ready to move on to the heels? Yeah. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. 
that's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So what's on your mind besides politics this week, Beth? I came up with a title for you in my life, Sarah. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so (laughs) because of the circumstances of my life, I was in a lot of small talk situations this week, which, as our longtime listeners know, is torturous for me. It's awful. Small Um, talk is terrible. But here's what I've decided about small talk. Small talk is very different than non-small talk in that If someone shares like a challenge or a problem with you in non-small talk, your job is not to solve that problem, right? It's just to be empathetic and a good listener and a good supportive friend. But in small talk, sharing solutions to problems is like the best way to make small talk roll along. So I found myself this week having like all of these like tips to share with people. Have you tried this app? Have you tried this recipe? Have you read this? Did you listen to that? And I realized that like, I don't know, 70-ish percent of my tips came from you. (laughs) So I have decided to call you my resource Sherpa because I feel like (laughs) you have like been out there in the internet for so long and in such a deep way and you read so much and you listen to so much that you're like always quick with the, oh, you've got this problem, try this. And so that's, that's, I'm going to make a little card for you that says Sarah Stewart Holland Resource Sherpa. That's amazing. Okay. First of all, when you were describing solving people's problems, I was like, oh yeah, that's what I do. I love that. <laughs> like in my head, I was like, I was like, yes, that's the best thing to do in small talk. That's what I do all the time. Yeah. I love, you know, I don't know if this is like a personality thing, but there is a, deep satisfaction I get from connecting, especially people I barely know, with like a solution or a resource. Yeah, I mean, it's just my absolute favorite thing to do. I love it so much. And I just, I guess I just thought everybody does that and took me for a long time to be like, no, not everybody does that. Because I think there is, you know, a certain confidence, naivete, ego, something. Involved in being like, oh, yeah, I can solve your problem. You know, (laughs) I got this. Maybe it's from like watching 20 years of Oprah because Oprah was sort of a resource Sherpa, if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, yeah, I love it. We we went on. So what I'm thinking about this week is a vacation. I took a well-deserved and much-needed break. Uh, I sort of avoided my other jobs for the most part and just really, you know, did stuff for – we – Hung out around the house the first part of the week and took bike rides and went swimming. And then we went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I got to go to Dollywood, which was amazing. 
So much fun. Great roller coasters. I wish there was a little more like Dolly throughout Dollywood. Like there's like a museum and, but I just kind of, it's like, I wanted to listen to Dollywood part music the entire time I was there. I wanted everything to have a Dolly theme. It's not really that interspersed throughout, but overall it was really great. And I just turned my brain off in a big way for a sustained period of time. And I really needed it. But we went on to Pigeon Forge with another family and I found myself doing the same thing with my friend. I was there. I was like, okay, well, have you tried this? And we were talking about, I've been talking about with a couple of my friends who are house shopping about how much I love like arranging, like deciding where things go in a house because it's sort of a similar situation, like problem solving, organizing the resources you have in the most efficient way. Like I was telling my friend Jill, I'm like, if you, I learned this from my grandmother and my mother, like if they go into your kitchen and your coffee mugs are not directly above your coffee maker in the layout of your kitchen, they are definitely judging you in their heads. And so am I, because that is ludicrous. They should be able to, like that kind of thing. Like I love it so much. Yeah, I realize that all of the personal advice that I have to give is either kind of directly related to interacting with other human beings, since that's sort of my profession, or cooking. And pretty much everything else has come from you. <laughs> like if I'm sending you to a podcast, an app, a website, or I have a, just like a little trick for you, that is most likely directly from Sarah. I just love it. I'm like a definitely like sort of a life hacker. Like, I, And what's so funny is my friend Jill said like, if, if I care deeply about it, then I'll really try to like sort of solve it and think through it and think about it. Or if I hate it, I'll definitely try to like think through or solve it. But like everything in the middle, I'm like, man, who cares? But I'm like, no, everything is an opportunity to like, do it better, do it more efficiently, learn more about it. Like, oh, no, everything is an opportunity for, as Ali Wong says in my favorite stand-up comedy show, Baby Cobra, to reach my maximum productivity (laughs) or efficiency. I can't remember which one she But like, yeah, I just, oh, I love it so much. I I think I could have definitely been a librarian because I like to, that's sort of like you just get to do that all day. Well, in theory, when I go and hang out with my mom, like she really doesn't spend as much time just recommending books as you would think. But I love, uh, yeah, Resource Sherpa. I love it. I love it so much. I need business cards. You do. <laughs> and is well, anybody out there is struggling with any, really anything, I don't even care what it is, please send it my way. Yeah. And I can't do much for you except be a really good listener. So like I'm better That's again. That's not true. Long she has form. crazy human resource skills. Don't Don't listen to her. She's so good at like actual problems people struggle with. I can just fix your productivity needs. Between us, we have you covered. That's true. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. I'm so glad that you're back, Sarah. It was a little lonely last week. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was hard to be away. And we will be back with you Friday for the briefcase. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsy Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at